A number of years ago, a um, big decision was made by our elder board, and that is to to give a sabbatical uh, for pastors who have served here for seven years. And uh, I was the first one to be blessed with that in 2016. And uh, what a sabbatical is, is really it's, it's taking off the title and putting it down and having an extended time away, much longer than a vacation. Because as pastors, we are on call and have to be on 24-7 every week, including vacations and holidays. That's just the, that's just the, the, the job as a pastor. And, and so to have um, an extended time away for just um, being refreshed and restored and, and, and all the benefits that go with that is a huge, huge blessing. And so myself and Pastor Kevin have had one over the years. And starting tomorrow, uh, Pastor TJ is uh, starting his sabbatical time away. So we can thank God for that. Uh, the average, the average time a youth pastor, uh, you know, is in churches today. The average time is the length of 18 months. Pastor TJ is coming up on eight years. Thank you, TJ. And so um, he is taking off the title of pastor, and he is only wearing husband and dad. So if you have his. Uh, phone number and email, do not text him. He will get in trouble with me if he, if he responds, all right? Do not email him. You are barred from checking your email, okay? I want him to get all the benefits uh, possible for the sabbatical. So pray for him, Britt, as they do some stuff around here and uh, pretty cool opportunities just to be a husband, be a dad, uh, even away from here. So pray for him and we thank God for you, TJ. We're in this series, uh, started last week, called A Church in Crisis. Now, most series, almost, almost every series, um, I always am thinking of two audiences in the, in the room and online, and that is those who know Jesus and those who don't know him, those who are following him as their Savior, those who don't have him as a Savior. And, and so, and I try to, to make every single series apply in some way uh, for both audiences. This is not one of those series. This is a series directed to those who say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And, uh, and so that, that is the, the point of this. Now, the church in crisis, this is a real thing. And we're looking at the church of Corinth, but it's also mirroring the church in America. It's a real thing and a, an example that really illustrates uh, what we're going to talk about today is the movie Avengers. Is the movie Avengers. You have all these own strengths and superpowers, but they find themselves at the beginning of this movie, they're fighting amongst themselves over petty issues, meaning not that it's important, but not that important. And they're, they're, they're turned toward each other and they're, they're fighting and arguing and disagreeing, so literally fighting at times. Meanwhile, uh, the Asgardian uh, Loki is attacking innocent people and he is preparing uh, you know, to, for an invasion of aliens to destroy planet Earth. And while he is at work, the Avengers are fighting amongst themselves. That picture symbolizes the reoccurring theme in the book of 1 Corinthians where Christians are fighting amongst themselves. There's division, there's dissension, there's arguments, and, and, and the enemy is happy. The enemy is always happy 
when Christians are facing toward each other and disagreeing and, and going at it while the enemy is attacking. Uh, the American patriot, Patrick Henry, two months before he passed away, greeted uh, his last known speech two months before he died to, in a new country. He said this. He really did say something. <clears throat> he said, united we stand, divided we fall. Let us not split into factions which must destroy that union upon which our existence hangs. He's talking about a new country and all the divisions and all the disagreements. And he was like, united we stand, divided we fall. That's where we're going today. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We do have a real enemy who is always at work, always at work in churches, in ministries, and we have to be on guard and be very, very careful. Last week, we talked about the first crisis. That's what we're going to do in this series, look at crisis, not every verse, not every uh, you know, commentary, but every crisis and what Scripture says. The first crisis, last week we talked about this, is that a church is in trouble when it leans on man's wisdom and forgets the power of Christ crucified. We are in big trouble if we never talk about the cross, never talk about a savior, never talk about sin and our sin problem and the answer for our sin problem. That's a, that will lead to a church crisis and the power of God to walk away from that church. Here's the crisis today. Too many believers spend more energy on petty issues instead of focusing on the mission Christ has given us. Now, the word petty could be offensive to some. It means this, of little or secondary importance. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's of little importance in the big picture. It's of secondary importance, not primary. And so what Satan tries to do is to try to divide and conquer and get believers uh, to spend more time and energy on petty issues instead of focusing on the mission that Christ has given us. So let's dive into chapter three. We'll look at verse one through four first. Brothers and sisters, meaning he's talking directly to believers. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Meaning, you have Christ but you're acting and living and behaving like you don't have Christ. You're just a mere human being without the power of Christ in your life. He brought this situation up in chapter one. We touched on it briefly last week. He brings it up again, meaning this is a big conflict in this church. This is a real issue of division. Now, he mentions several times worldly. Worldly. Now, if you're new to Bible study, that sounds weird. Like, what do you mean? We're in this world. What are you talking about? 
Um, another translation or definition means uh, fleshly, of the flesh, and that's even more confusing to someone new in the faith. Like, well, what's wrong with my flesh? I don't have a 10 yet. Okay, is that, is that the problem? No. The best definition is, is the definition of a carnal Christian, not a worldly Christian, fleshly Christian. I, that, that's all accurate. I think the best picture is a carnal Christian. You're acting as a carnal Christian. Now, what a carnal Christian means is it's a Christian who chooses to follow their natural desires instead of following Christ, instead of following the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit, they believe in Christ, but a carnal Christian is choosing not to follow after Christ, not to be led by the Spirit, but just to lean into natural desires. Here are some natural desires that we don't have to practice. It just comes out if we're not careful. Here's some examples of just being argumentative. All of us, even the introverts, you may not say that loud, but in your mind, you're having this great argument. And you're laying out your case, and whenever we do this, we always win. We always look good. But we're, it's easy for us to, in our natural desire, is just, you got an issue, I have an opinion, and I disagree with you. Let me tell you how right I am right there. Then there's a critical spirit. It's, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to, to look for all the things wrong and, and to not and miss the bigger picture and, and not only see the wrong things, but an attitude of a critical spirit. And then it comes out in what we say. That comes very natural. No one needs to sit us down and say, let me tell you how to have a bad attitude. Okay, it just comes out natural, all right? That's a natural desire. And then all of us are guilty of being arrogant with our preferences. Meaning, I prefer this, I like this, you are wrong for not liking what I like. Okay, that's fine, if you wanna be wrong, go right ahead. But I am right. In this issue, in this issue, in this issue, in this issue, we have an arrogance over our preferences. And the bottom line is we're all selfish. That comes so natural to us. That comes so natural to us. All right, let me give you a stupid example of this, all right? I believe the best NFL organization is the San Francisco 49ers. I have all kinds of arguments, and I can give you facts and data, a number of Super Bowls and championships, a number of Hall of Famers, and you can be wrong if you want to, okay? And I can have a critical spirit about you, and I can even say things like, your, your, your choice is stupid, all right, and all this. And then I, I can be arrogant, and don't amen this, arrogant with my preferences because I believe I am right, and I'm just thinking about myself. Now that's a stupid issue, and I had to really, I have to really guard myself during the season, especially the weeks the Niners play the Seahawks, all right? That, is, that just comes out naturally. We all do that no matter the issue. The opposite of this is, I'm gonna be gentle. I'm gonna be pleasant. I'm gonna be encouraging, not critical. I'm gonna be humble in my preferences. Instead of being selfish, I'm gonna to choose to love. That's the opposite of selfishness. In this context, we're, we're wrestling with how do we view and how do we treat spiritual leaders in the church? What do we do with our opinions? 
what do we do with our arguments? What do we do with our facts? What do we do with our preferences when it comes to spiritual leaders in the church? For your notes, carnal believers are identified, first of all, by their attitude and then their behavior. Carnal Christian doesn't mean you're, you're, you're an infant believer, and that's, that is possible. You could have trusted in Jesus decades ago, but choose that week by our attitudes and behaviors we're going to display that we are choosing to follow what comes natural to us instead of following Christ and the Spirit of God. In the church at Corinth, they were arguing over who was a better leader, communicator, pastor, teacher. Well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. And it was <clears throat> such an issue, Paul, Paul brings it up several times, but what was happening is he said, what I see here is jealousy and quarreling. They're jealousy, jealousy because wait a second, my opinion is not being heard, you know, and theirs is, and I, I want to be right, and because and, I am right, and, and they're getting the preference. So there's got jealousy, and then there's just quarreling. And what he was talking about, this is infant behavior. Now, again, some of them were infant believers, but when we just follow what comes natural to us and don't filter it through the, you know, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, um, we will display infant behavior. Well, Paulus, you know, he's a much better communicator. You know, and in our Greek culture, we love wisdom. And man, Paulus, he's just, he's just deeper, you know, than Paul is. And, and I just, I get more out of him. You know, Paul, um, you know, he, he's an okay writer. And it's, it says this, and Paul mentions this in, 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 this, in this book. He, he talked about they're saying, well, you know, when he writes, he sounds really tough and bold. But in person, he's not that strong and not tough. You know, and, and he's not really clear. He's kind of boring to listen to. And so I believe that we need more of Apollos. And I'm people of Paul. Like, no, 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 we need more of Paul. And there was church division, church disagreement, frustration. Now, what I'm not saying today is that you should never disagree with spiritual leaders that God has put in your church. Okay, don't, don't ever agree, disagree with them. You know, no. No, but there's a proper way and a proper process to how to approach uh, the leaders, how, how to process something that, that, that you don't agree with. Here's what I am saying. There is a huge danger when we are in a habit of criticizing spiritual leaders that God has brought, and it has a negative influence on other people. If you are struggling and you're like, I, I just think the church needs to do this, and if the pastor would only do that, and you have all this list, <clears throat> you are, and there's children listening, you're going off in the car, you're going off at lunch after church, and you got kids and, and children and teenagers, you are, you are poisoning them. When you throw up our opinions on other people, other adults, they may not have that perspective, they may not ha have that opinion, but then because you're offended, you're upset, they take that on and now they're, they're ticked at the pastor, they're ticked at the elders, they're ticked at the ministry leader. 
Now, last week I told you, uh, on Mother's Day, I told you that um, before my mom passed away and I was going to say my goodbyes in person, I, I wrote a list of things that were on my heart and I wanted to share with her. And one of the most important things, I said, Mom, I need to, I need to thank you. I need to thank you and Dad for not bringing home your hurt, your bitterness, and your disagreements at church. My dad was on staff, and he was deeply hurt. He was deeply, deeply offended. He was deeply uh, mistreated by certain people. And I said, Mom, I would have never, ever, ever gone down the path of ministry if you would have poisoned this little boy's heart when you were frustrated, when you were angry, and when you were upset for legitimate reasons. Thank you for handling that in such a way that you didn't poison me. That's why there's a danger, is that there are other people watching and we could send them down a destructive path. Another danger is disunity hinders God's blessings every time. And that's one of the themes in this book of you guys are not getting along and you're doing things, and you're mad at each other. God's blessing always takes a step back when believers are fighting and arguing. And I'm going to add, this in my notes, all this is in my notes. I was done two weeks ago, by the way. Um, when we criticize other churches, we do not realize the poison we're spreading out to, to, to those who are listening and watching. The Bible is very clear on God's opinion on this. In Proverbs, there's a very powerful passage in Proverbs that says there are six things the Lord hates. Strong word, on purpose. And then the seventh one is an abomination you know, to God. And years ago, I d dug deep on what does this word abomination means. And in the Hebrew, Hebrew you know, there's, it's a pictorial dictionary given pictures. And I remember reading one point, abomination means to cause to puke. That you're so disgusted with something that kind of triggers that kind of disgust. The seventh on the list that is an abomination of God is right here. One who sows discord among brothers. Again, I'm not talking about you, you don't have any disagreements or you don't agree with certain things. It's what we do about it. And sowing discord is an abomination to the Lord. In Romans chapter 16, Paul said this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to teachings uh, you have learned. Then he says this, Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but they're serving their own appetites. They have their own agenda, they have their own issues, and they're trying to get everybody to agree with them. He says, watch out for them. So if there is things that grow and you don't handle it the correct way, Satan is very happy with you and your approach. Look at verse 5. Paul says this. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe 
as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Really, we don't really matter, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's a lot here. I'm going to point you to a few things, hopefully help, help your perspective of when there's disagreements, when you're struggling with spiritual leaders. He says, who are they? What are they? And he says, only servants, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. They're just human servants, just human servants trying to do what they've been assigned to. Now, when I left 20 years of youth ministry and became a lead pastor here in 20, uh, I mean, 2005, God didn't tell me all that I was signing up for. God didn't tell me um, how, how every decision would be met with opposition. And, and there are times that I'm like, I don't like the seat God has assigned me. And I've told people over the years, I, I, I fully understand that if you were placed in this seat, you would make probably different decisions. But this is where God has assigned me. And I am I'm just a servant. I am, I'm, I'm human. Verse 6, he says, I planted Apollos watered, but it's God who makes it grow. We're just doing what we're told. And, and we each have a role to play, but God trumps it all. God is the one who we're, we're trying to serve, and God's the one that's going to make any positive thing grow. It's about God. Verse 9, for we, Paulus and me, we're just co-workers in God's service, meaning we're not in competition. We're, not, we're on the same team. See, when I, when I came back in 05, um, be, being here before as a youth pastor for nine years, um, I, I knew we were an insider-focused church. I knew that very well. And one of the things early on we, we started and we continue to this day is almost every single Sunday during the offering segment, we strategically pray for other churches in Kitsap County. Have you noticed that? That is intentional. And the, the heart behind that is I want Grace Point to not believe that we're, we're the, the only show in town, you know, and, and God just loves us and he loves us more. No, there are other churches around. Now, we pray for churches that, and we have a, I have a long list that I, I, I schedule. We pray for churches, and, and the, the most important thing for me is do they preach Christ? Do they, do they preach the gospel? Is their foundation on Jesus Christ? Here's what I don't choose them for, that they do everything the way Grace Point does them. 
I had a lunch with several pastors just recently, and one of them, it just came up, and this pastor of a church you all know said, now, in this issue, we disagree. And I'm like, I'm meeting at Silver City, like, yeah, we disagree. It's important, but it's not essential. It's a secondary issue. We have to get this that we're not gonna all agree on everything. We're just coworkers, we're, we're not in competition. Again, too many believers spend more energy and emotion on issue, petty issues instead of focusing on the mission Christ has given us. Again, Satan's playbook is pretty small. He goes to the same place, and one of the places he goes to all the time is how can I divide and conquer this ministry and get them distracted and get them quarreling so that they're not moving in the same direction. And Satan knows that when we're that way that God's blessings take a, take a step back. Now let me give you some, some other examples that I have dealt with over the years and they're still coming up all the time. And I, th- I believe they're petty issues. Now, you may not agree with that, and, and, and I'll just let the Lord decide who's right. The question is, all right, Barry, which is better, small churches or mega churches? My answer, whatever's one is healthy. I have worked and served in small churches. Some of them have been healthy. Some of them have not been healthy. I have worked and served in mega churches. Some of them have been healthy and some of them are not healthy. And that, that what frustrates me is Christians spending time and they get all emotional and they're making all these blanket statements about small churches or mega churches. Stop it. Are they preaching Christ? Are they pointing people to Jesus? The correct answer is whatever one is healthy. My opinion is really irrelevant. All right, here's another one. Barry, are you, are you a Calvinist or Arminian? If you're new to Bible study, that is a debate that has been going on since the 17th century. And I see it all the time on social media. And I just scroll on by. Well, Barry, it's important. Kind of. But there are points in Calvinism and there are points in Arminianism that I believe are not biblical. So my answer to this is this. I'm a Bible-believing gospel-loving Christ follower. That's where I stand. I, I still remember Pastor DeGraff. I was a youth pastor here, and he said this. You know, God's election and man's free will. And he says, which one's right? And Pastor DeGraff goes, the answer is yes. Do I understand it? No. It could be a dog chasing its tail debate that just wastes time and energy. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 10. It says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. Awesome, you know, but each one should build with care. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, makes it very clear which foundation of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, if anyone builds, and this is talking about leaders, spiritual leaders, on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hair, stubble, stubble their, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Uh, let's see how far am I supposed to go here. All right. Um, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. This is not judgment day deciding heaven or hell. No, this is talking about people who are followers of Jesus. And, and, and in chapter, I mean, Second Corinthians, Paul mentions this again and gives it a, a title, meaning the Bema Seat, meaning it's a judgment, Roman judgment in that culture. And, and it's a judgment of what, what are you doing? Not do you go to heaven or hell, is what are you doing for God? Everything will be judged. But you notice in this context of arguing over which spiritual leader is right and disagreements and quarreling and fighting, he's talking about if one builds, talking about a spiritual leader, their ministry will be judged one day. Will be judged. Here's a healthy perspective for your notes. God will determine a spiritual leader's success, real success, their fruit, real fruit, and their motives, not us. This is a healthy reminder to me when I am critical of other ministries and other pastors. I am not the beam of seat judge. Jesus is. Jesus will reveal whether that ministry really had success, really had lasting fruit, and God knows the motives in the hearts of those spiritual leaders, why they do what they do, what they're trying to do. God reveals all that. Now, humans can measure, verse 11, is, it, is the foundation on Christ. Humans can measure, are they building or doing their task, building on the foundation with care? Do they take it seriously? Are they giving their very best? You, we can judge that. But motives? That's only for Jesus. So interesting that he mentions this judgment, judgment uh, situation in both letters following in 1 Corinthians, the disagreements between spiritual leaders. Be careful, be careful, be careful that any of us, myself included, are not used by the enemy to distract and to divide in God's church. God takes it seriously. Now, what's the right and wrong way to evaluate teaching, the primary you know, job of spiritual leaders in a church? Well, Scripture gives us some guidance on this. In 2 Timothy, it says this, for the time is coming, and I believe that we're here now, the time is coming when people will not put up with sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. We're, we're, we all can do this. 
We want to gather around people who will tell us things that we agree with and like. It's just a human issue. When it comes to teaching God's word, he's like, be careful. There's coming a time that people are just going to lean toward, I don't want that kind of teaching. I want this kind of teaching because I like this. I, I'm comfortable with this. This, this. I prefer this. And we're not having sound doctrine, sound biblical teaching. That's the wrong way to view a message. Here's the right way. I'm talking about the Bereans, a group of people called the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. It says, for they, the Bereans, received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul said what was true. They went to scriptures to gain their opinion on that message. That's the right way. That's the right way. I had a call just the other night, had a long conversation with a young man who was in our young adults life group. Uh, the Navy moved them to, to San Diego. I hate it when Navy does that. Um, and he called me. He says, when I got here, there was this issue. I went to the pastor and asked him, where, did the, where, did this, where does this church stand on this issue? And he got an answer. He says, three years later, there's been a big shift, and how do I approach my pastor? What's the best way to approach my pastor with, with this issue? So I started asking him questions, and what he was giving me was, well, the Word of God says this about this issue. And I, te I said, Alan, I am so proud of you. You're looking at Scripture for what what should be taught, okay? Now, here's how to approach your pastor. Please don't set up a meeting, go in and just lit them, light them up. And you're this and you're that, all these. No, no, that, God's never in that. He goes, I want to be respectful. I said, I'm so glad. Respect comes across in tone and tenor. And ask questions. Ask this question, ask this question, and then let, let him speak. And if you disagree, then you, you and your wife need to make a decision. Do we, does God want us to stay in this church or, or do we, is it strong enough, a biblical disagreement that we need to go somewhere else? See, there's an appropriate way to approach difficulties and disagreements and still be God-honoring. But the Bereans, they, they sought Scripture. It's not Scripture. Now, when they, the Bible is never written with chapters. That came later to help, just help us not get lost. Uh, chapter four, the first part should have stayed in chapter three because Paul was not done talking about it. I'll read a few verses. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us, talking to spiritual leaders, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Verse two, now it is required, here's this high bar, that, that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I mean, if you're in spiritual leaders, leadership, the bar is you need to be faithful, faithful to Scripture, faithful to your calling. It does not say that you, you are to be perfect. There's no perfect leader. Required that you be found, given this trust to be proved faithful. Verse 3, I care very little if I am judged by you, which they were judging Paul. He goes, I don't care if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. We can have a clear conscience and still be wrong. 
He says, my, that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motive of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Again, he's talking about spiritual leaders. There is a time to judge them. And he says, wait until the appointed time. I think this is actually hilarious. He says, people, wait until the appropriate time to, to make a judgment call, call on the motives of your spiritual leader. And here's the time when Jesus comes back. And he's going to judge everything. Do you see the, the creative way of, is we're not the judge. The only judge is Jesus Christ. I have never met a perfect leader. I've never met a perfect elder. But I have met carnal pastors and carnal elders. God has not blessed Grace Point Church with perfect leaders. But I've been around them enough to know that they desperately, we desperately want to obey God and to do the right thing. And that is hard at times. My two pieces of advice that I give all the time, several times a month, every month, because of our military and people coming in and out, I said, here's what you need to do when you're looking for a church. I got two simple things. Number one, find a church that preaches God's word. It's the most important, there's not even a close second. Find a church that teaches God's word from God's word. And number two, find a church that fits you. Stylistic, preferences, it's okay. Find a church that preaches God's word, teaches God's word, and find a church that fits you. Now I'm gonna say, as I wrap up this, I'm gonna say it carefully, but with the right heart, I have to check every message, every service with this. If you find yourself consistently complaining, consistently criticizing, consistently judging the leaders of any church you attend, and you're more focused on secondary issues than the mission, if it's inside of Grace Point Church, stop it. Or go find another church that you can maybe probably align closely to. It's okay, but the poison of dissension is not needed, wanted, or appreciated here. Hope that you heard that from my heart. The second thing is if you're criticizing other churches in Kitsap County, please stop. Do we agree with them on every point? No. Are they preaching Christ? Are they pointing people to the gospel? Let's not help the enemy with anything. Last quote for all you note-takers is like, there's one more section with lines. <clears throat> it's an old quote. Here it is. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. This was written by Peter uh, Melodenius, a 17th century Lutheran theologian. And he wrote this phrase, 
in the midst of the 30 years war in that his country where Protestants and Catholics were fighting and killing each other. That's the context. And Satan is still getting victories today of ancient wars of people who say they're followers of Jesus and they fight and kill each other. We should adopt this as our heart, our spirit, in the midst of any church where there's human beings. In the essentials, let's be united. In non-essentials, give liberty to people to have different ideas and preferences. But in all things, love. Would you pray with me? God, there's always attacks. There's always Satan looking to devour ministries, unity in ministries, what God is doing. And God, as leaders, we have to always be alert because Satan never takes the day off. And God, um, there's so many areas of our church that are healthy and vibrant and growing and, and all that, but Satan's still there. So Lord, protect our church. And God, you know my heart, I couldn't have preached this 10 years ago because it would have came from pain and hurt. Thank you for the healing you've brought in my life over the years. But Lord, this truth is still important. God, protect our church, protect our leaders, protect what we're trying to do to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. So Lord, take today and I pray that Satan will not gain, gain any victories of what has been taught today. For your glory, we pray this. In your name we pray. Amen.